Uh, Rain home, Danny. Okay. Um, <laughs> seems like the person should be Danny. Welcome to DanceCast. I'm your host, Seema Belmar. Today I'm talking with Emily Hansel, Mia J. Chong, Alex Carrington, Chelsea Reichardt, and Shireen Darian. Although you will hear that Shireen has her own little separate mini interview because she wasn't able to join the rest of us during our absolutely bonkers interview that took place in the production offices at ODC. Just a heads up. There was a lot of ambient noise while we were talking, and we decided to roll with it. It was kind of fun. Emily reached out to me. She wanted to talk about a project she had started, and now that I'm recording this episode, she has completed. Uh, It was a collaboration with all those other folks that I mentioned. What I was really interested in is the fact that Emily had the goal of developing and sustaining a healthy, equitable workplace for dancers. That's a quote from Emily. So she hired dancers as employees instead of contractors, and they worked together to build an equitable contract. So I got excited about hearing about how she managed that and how it felt to the dancers. There's more and more conversations around consent in the dance world happening, and that was part of what we talk about. But all kinds of other really cool things came up. Really quickly, let me tell you about these folks. Emily Hansel is a San Francisco-based dancer, choreographer, dance teacher, arts administrator, and artist advocate originally from Rochester, Minnesota. She currently dances for Post Ballet, Robert Moses' Kin, Mark Foringer Dance Project, and Christy Funch. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of gigs. And she's performed with many others in the area. Emily advocates for equitable and ethical working conditions for dancers and her creative work centers the dancer's experience. She is a proud member of the leadership committee at Dance Artists National Collective. Mia J. Chong is from San Francisco, California, received her training from the Kirov Academy of Ballet, San Francisco Ballet School, Ailey School, Alonzo King's Lines Ballet, Hubbard Street Dan- I mean, it goes on and on, Mia. That's long. She has danced with Post Ballet, Robert Moses' Kin, Dance Theater of San Francisco, and San Francisco Symphony. She currently choreographs dance works throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and dances with ODC Dance. She's also studying organizational behavior and change at NYU because, you know, dancers, they can do more than dance. Alex Carrington received the majority of her training at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in the Lions Ballet Training Program. She's danced with Margaret Jenkins Dance Company, Tiny Pistol, Detour Dance, Kristen Dameron Company, Little Seismic Dance Company. Uh, You're getting the picture that these dancers dance with a lot of people. So that's a lot of contracts or non-contracts. Chelsea Reichert, freelance dance artist originally from Kansas, currently based in the Bay Area. BFA, Marymount Manhattan College. She also studied at the San Francisco Conservatory of Dance. Since living in the Bay, she's had the pleasure of creating and performing with Maria Kerr, Tiny Pistol, Sharp and Fine, Kickball, Courtney Mazeka, Kinetech Arts, Nicole Von Arks, Larry Arrington, Risa Jaroslaw, and Emily Hansel. Shireen Narayan received her initial training at Ballet Arts Academy in Spokane, Washington, and trained at Lines Ballet here in SF. She danced in Portland for a contemporary ballet company called Buand Dance. Hope I'm saying that right. And in the Bay, she's danced for Kinetech Arts for three years. She's danced for companies in the Bay Area, including Full Stop Dance and Mudwater Dance Theater, Zero Dance, Bellwether Dance Project. She's also in her fifth year of dancing for Kristen Dameron Company and Jennifer Perfilio Movement Works. So you can see these folks everywhere. Just because you missed the show in May doesn't mean it was your last chance. Okay, here we go. 
We are in the production Sounds offices great. of ODC, and uh, this is a post-rehearsal recording, and so everyone's eating. <laughs> that is necessary, because dancers and all humans need to eat. Um, so if you hear chewing and zipping, whatever, it's just real. We're being real. And there's ostensibly drilling and other loud refrigerator noises. <laughs> it's going to be good. Is that real? I think it's like the exactly. elevator, now that I think about it. Uh... So I'm going to let you introduce yourself in a, just a slightly put you on the spot way. Could you say something you wish people knew about you when they watched you dance? Whoa. Or maybe that's a hard question. Oh, whoa. To me, dancers are people. It actually took me a while to realize that, to be fair. And we forget that. And I think that is mirrored in the way they're treated by choreographers and by philosophies of what dance is supposed to be. Dancers as clay, dancers as paint, you know, dancers as lines in space, things like that. And then when I watch them dance, if, especially if I don't get to read a bio, I then have all these questions. I'm Emily Hansel. Uh, my pronouns are she, they. I don't know if there's anything I need people to know about me when they see me dance, but a fun fact, perhaps, <laughs> is that my brain kind of automatically turns dance into task-based movement. Whether it's a tondu, every action or movement I do is a task in my head. And so does that mean that you are conscious of that every time you're dancing? Or is that when you fall into consciousness? Because I know sometimes we're in flow and yeah. that's what just happened. Or is it just when you go into consciousness, you approach every movement as a task? I think I'm always doing it. But if something's really rehearsed, then maybe I've practiced that task over and over again and maybe mm. I don't think so hard about it. Or I'm like, yeah, yeah, touch the cupcake, then touch my whiskers, then feel cold or something. And so it could just happen really fast and maybe it doesn't. But it definitely came from that and still is that somehow. Yeah. I love that. It's okay. <laughs> a thousand questions, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I'm just like, did that happen in your training? Who taught you that? Did you come up with that on your own? Moving on. My name is Mia J. Chong. My pronouns are she, they. I was born and raised in San Francisco. I think similarly, like I don't really need anyone to know anything or think anything specific about me when I dance, but I do sometimes wish that people looked at me as a performer and like knew that I was a choreographer because mm. I feel like lots of people can see you appear on stage as a body and I just feel like I also would like people to know that I'm like a mind and a voice as well. Yes! Sweet. Which I think we all are also, like we, yeah. we all have those skills and stuff, but I just feel like it would be cool if people knew that. So now I'm telling people. So <laughs> Yes! <laughs> Well, it also speaks to the, f again, that somehow the dancer disappears as a voice when dancing in the service of a choreographer, or only occasionally a, a certain dancer will emerge somehow from a group work, let's say, or, a so or does a solo where we suddenly feel that there is mind, there is intellect, there are other things going on. I just think there's something very broken in the way we think about dancers. My name is Alex Carrington. My pronouns are she, they. I would like people to know that I'm silly when I dance. Um, not necessarily like perform, but even like in a, da in a dance class or like audition or performance. That you're silly in class or you're silly in rehearsal or that you're a silly person generally? So I'm like <laughs> always thinking in a silly way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. 
I don't want to take anything too seriously, and I think that there's, like, this assumption, and I think dancers do it, there's an assumption for a reason, but, like, the dancers are very serious and, like, take things, take themselves very seriously and the work very seriously, and sometimes I just want to, like, mess that up in a respectful way, but, yeah. I was going to say, do you get in trouble for that ever, or have you with the choreographer? No, I feel like I've got, people have enjoyed it a lot, I feel, or, um... I think I got a little bit more in trouble with it when I was in school. All right, Chelsea. Chelsea um, has a furrowing brow for those of you who can't see her. <laughs> Chelsea, actually. <laughs> Honestly, the pressure feels on now after all these good answers. I'm like, oh. Yeah, my name is Chelsea Reichert. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. This is similar but different to what Alex said, but like, I don't know if I want people to know this per se, but like, just this I, the fact that like, I'm still figuring a lot of things out. Like we're on stage, like doing this thing that we've like made and we know and it's like choreographed for people to see. But I, just that I'm actually just figuring a bunch of shit out, you know, at the same time as you're seeing this thing. That like mastery is a fake concept in a way because you are, it's always a, like when you're performing, it's always a kind of like beginner's mind to present moment negotiation. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's a version of what I mean, and that's okay. that's what I mean. Like it's like I mean that, and I also mean like in so many other aspects of my life, I'm just figuring <laughs> things out, trying to figure myself out. Yes, um, it's like don't look at my amazing technique and think I have my life together. Yes. Actually, yes, but I don't. Not that I think I have amazing technique. You do. <laughs> I can do. But, uh, I can do. <laughs> you have what is called now, Emily, a project-based, do you want to say company? You know, it's like not a company. A project-based phenomenon? <laughs> How about like a project? You have a project. Okay, cool. Right. Project well, well, you know, <laughs> as a professor of like writing and things like that, I like to return to the text. I'm always like, can okay. we return to the text? And everyone's like, what? I didn't bring it. Okay. But I brought it. So four by four is a project. That is premiering at ODC Theater, May 26th and 28th. It already happened. <laughs> it hasn't, but it has by the time anybody's listening to this. So this project, you say on the website, also marks the first time you formed a business, hired dancers as employees, and managed such a substantial project budget. So I want to talk about that, and I want to hear from Emily and then from everyone else about what inspired it. Because let me give you a little background. I was, I've been here since the 90s with some break early 90s and I was dance writing and I was dancing with people and I choreographed a little just because as a dance writer I wanted to choreograph to get on that side of things but like choreography is bullshit difficult so oh now we have piano so that's good <laughs> this is a really good situation so at the time and of course I cannot speak for everyone but I was ensconced in the modern contemporary pickup scene and there was no nobody was paid I mean, nobody expected to be paid, right? I mean, and again, nobody is a giant generalization, but too bad. We, we know what I'm saying. The It was not a conversation. And there were certainly no conversations about consent, at least that I was aware of. Contracts were only for, like, ODC company or, you know, maybe Joe Good or Wines or something. So, you know, coming 25 years on, right? 25? Yeah, 25 years later. 25, 20, 25 years later, like... This is just brand new to me. But as you are all coming up, I'm assuming you're similarly, what are you, millennials? Are you millennials? A zillennial? 
that a thing? It's like coming towards, like, <laughs> all, coming toward Gen Z. Is that yeah. what a millennial is? Are you all similar in that? Millennial. I don't know. How what year? Year of birth. Just 95. 97. 94. 92. Hello. Do you need some? Bye. <clears throat> um, oh, yeah. All right. So you're all in the same zone. You know, 71. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm representing yeah, yeah. for 71. <laughs> so... Tell me about, like, how did you get to this place to feel, first of all, like, empowered to do this or also just required, maybe, to do it? And that could be about how, what it was like to work with other people, not mentioning names if you don't want to, of course, or just other information coming at you that got you here. Because I think it's a big deal. The stage I'm at in my career, like, I'm a few years out from, I'm maybe almost six years out from graduating, getting my BFA. So that many years of professional experience. And it's also certainly related to the pandemic. Years ago, before the pandemic, I kind of paused doing choreographic projects because I was not paying people sufficiently. Like it was a pitiful amount, like let's round to zero. And I was also not, you know, getting great pay as a dancer. And I was like, oh, I'm 23 and I can't afford to pay anyone. And you guys want to come hang out in the rehearsal and like, we'll do eight rehearsals. And then this show, I got in this show and everyone was like, yeah. So I did that a few times. And then I was like, I can't keep doing this. So I'm going to make a solo. And then I did that and I was like, that's not really what I'm after. And I just paused for a while before I do more actions where I put myself in a leader po leadership position. I also just acknowledged that I needed to start like saving money so that I could invest in asking people to dance with me in a room. And when the pandemic hit, I heard about this group called Dance Artists National Collective. They were based in New York, but it's a national collective. And when the pandemic hit, they switched to weekly Zoom meetings, and boy did the country flock there, I think. We needed a place to connect, and I learned so much just by showing up to a Zoom meeting and staying quiet, and these people were talking about unions, about workers' rights, about safety in the studio, about equity in the field and access to the field. That's when I started getting some concrete answers for like what to do next. Like actual guidance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great. And I think also just the longer that I, or the more experience I had as a professional dancer, the more, um, I don't know, I had more experienced peers around me eventually that were teaching me things like get a contract or <laughs> mm -hmm. get them to put in an email at least how much you're going to be paid and when. Not that that always helps. Okay, so here's the other thing is I've been in a ton of ex dance, like where I've been hired as a dancer and known very little about if I'm getting paid and other details like that. It, it affects your mindset in the studio. Of course, it affects your mindset when you're like thinking about how much I can pay for rent next year or whatever, but it also is like, it affects the level of trust in the workplace. So I just realized, oh, I'm interested in like, if I'm gonna hire people, I, well, I learned about the differentiations between employees and independent contractors and I was like okay definitely gonna hire employees okay so I gotta get workers comp and I gotta run payroll so I'm gonna save a little bit more money until I can do something and then eventually I got this grant from the California Arts Council an individual artist fellowship it's general operating support so I can put it towards anything but I was like 
let me use it to pay other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I got this opportunity from ODC, the, the rental discount initiative for the theater. So that chunk was enough for me to be like, okay, the money I've been saving will make a significant impact towards this project. And so I can do some additional fundraising. And now I have like a budget and a project can happen. And let's start talking about contracts before we go any further. I love administrative work. Oh, good for you. So I know, I know. I'm like, I feel so lucky. I'm like, Ew. But yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, I'm already, you know, geeking out about like a spreadsheet and a contract anyway. So that's wow. definitely a big part of why I'm like here. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So d- let's have other folks just speak to how it's been. You're doing great. <laughs> well, can you speak to this experience with Emily or? I mean, the thing that I was thinking about when I first talked to like Emily about this project in general was like, we were talking a lot about just doing things differently than how we had experienced them. Um, and like, this is hilarious. I think it's a choir. I, they did not realize that next door would literally be musical theater. Oh my like the loudest possible thing we could be doing. Maybe there's, we should just go in there. There's, this is apropos, I think, because in our, we started out doing some outdoor rehearsals earlier okay. during the pandemic. And I just like took a iPhone recording of the outdoor sounds. And we happened to be near a school, some streets. There's plenty of sounds going on. And now that's like part of the soundscape for the piece. Excellent. Because. We grew to love it. Well, this so. is the soundscape for the podcast episode. <laughs> Leah, we're so sorry. I don't even, just do your best. I don't even know if I can speak while this is happening. I, at the I same kind of time. feel you on that. So I'm just going to pause for a second and someone else can That's respond. Fine. If That's fine. That's totally like. fine. Okay, now's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta say something. <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious. I don't even know what to say. I mean, Mia, your situation is different because you are an employee of ODC, aren't you? Yes. Company. Right. And so... (laughs) 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 But you've been in pickup situations. (laughs) Um, Or is this the first pickup company? I think it's like, it's different because I grew up here in like the Bay. So I started like freelancing when I was like still in high school. Mm. So I think... My experience of like being paid very little was different because I, I was like very hungry for the opportunity. I was a teenager, I really wanted to be professional. I was paid for all of the gigs that I did when I was freelanced at that time. But I think it was similar with like people who were more experienced around me really like pushed me to advocate for myself and like get it in writing and like understand the full scope of the project before you agree to, to doing it. But then, you know, after college coming back and then being able to dance for ODC full time. I didn't have the same opportunity, I guess, to like navigate the freelance scene as like a, a professional. So this is like one of the first separate projects that I've done during my time in ODC. And but then so, so given that ODC obviously has contracts and all of that, motorcycles, um, how, how did Emily do with her contracts? Did that feel, no, because it's a perspective of someone who, who's used to it, right? As opposed to maybe others. I don't know, I don't wanna speak for you. But did it feel like, oh, this feels, but you were involved, right? You're, was everybody involved in the constructing of this contract that's here in the room and agreements and stuff? I yeah. so. I wasn't as involved in the early stages as the rest of the folks because I joined the project a little later. Okay. But I wanna, maybe I can just say for the record that um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> the source material for our like massively thorough contract came from Dance Artists National Collective right, and a huge awesome. project that we're working on there. So, you know, we were not starting from ground zero. We were starting from already like 30 pages of like, should this be on yours or should this be on yours? Got it. And, you know, editing and stuff and then talking amongst ourselves and then revamping when we had a little break and then came back and we joined. These are folks who dance with everybody, right? Again, everybody in scare quotes, but everybody moving in a particular circle of a certain kind of dance that happens in the Bay Area recently. Is it very different from your other experiences? And then how is it supportive? Because I have to say, when I was looking at your website and I was reading, rereading the letter you had sent out to folks and one hand, I was like, this is amazing and awesome and it should always be this way. And on the other hand, I was like, I'm so tired. There's a horrible and very broken perspective, I think, that dancers and other artists, I think, have as well about, you know, you do it for the passion and you do it for the love and all that stuff. And how hard it is to let go of that, you know, or, or to somehow feel like it's tainted by like contracts and business and legalese, you know, I'm just, as a, as a weird and broken bias, I just wanted to point that out and wondered if you had anything to say to that. I haven't had a, con like signed a contract outside of anything that I've done, like outside of MJDC. I had a contract for every like year or snippet of time, but the amount of like thoroughness that this contract was and also being like a part of deciding what it was felt very unique and special and uh really like safe i guess like knowing what i'm getting into fully rather than just being handed something and i sign it or not being handed anything at all that like there's an expectation of what is required or i i don't know like to a very very thorough extent that there are like rules or like safety like protocols in place for if anything were to happen in other situations there is nothing there to hold that or like protect you or there's no nothing would happen if something bad were to happen in my experience like things don't happen when something bad happens um, and no one takes care of it and it's just hanging out so it felt very supportive and exciting to be able to like work through that together to build something that felt really safe and is this yeah. everything from physical injury to consent issues or harassment issues or just emotional anythings yeah okay yeah yeah it yeah. just feels so 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 important mm -hmm. more than ever. One of the things you can do to prevent discrimination and harassment and injury and mental injury, emotional injury, is to talk about protocols that are in place if those things do come up. Right. Like to just acknowledge the possibility. Chelsea. Yeah, um, I feel like this is the first time that I've been so part of making a contract. I've signed a couple contracts. Oh, there was one process I was in where they were like, look it over and let me know if you have anything. But this was like, I don't know, Emily, even like the part of consent, like I feel like you were at the beginning, like you can be as involved or not as you want to in terms of making this contract. Like you can read this whole document with me and tell me what you want in there or not. And I feel like something with this contract that has been interesting is that I feel like um, we can write this down and then if we want it to change, we can talk about it and change it. Like it's just always like in negotiation. The contract and the community agreement we come up with on day one is the starting point. Mm -hmm. And every day after that is in a new place.
Alex was speaking to safety. How does the feeling of safety manifest? You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean inside the room together to feel safer? Or what does it mean to feel unsafe in the room? What happens to creativity when you feel safer? What happens to risk when you feel safer? And can, can you quantify it or qualify it? Can you speak to it specifically, examples? I know for me, um, in a process like this that is more collaborative, the way that we're credited uh, right off the bat definitely affects what I feel like I can contribute. I don't know if that's something that's in the contract, but I think we had just spoken about it. Something, yeah, I think something the language like, in the contract is like, we will thoroughly discuss this in advance of any publication of any credits or something, mm -hmm. but not, not like a concrete decision yet, yeah. So I feel like that really helps me because I feel like what you're speaking about is a little bit more about like comfort and like cons physical consent. And I feel like we, at least when I joined, like we were talking about like closeness, like physical closeness differently because of like COVID and mm. less about harassment or like, I don't know, <laughs> like, yeah. like it was a safety thing, like, like a health safety thing. I feel like for me, the contract has spelled out a lot about like artistic safety also, like it's it's in there like mm. things about how there's no planned nudity at this moment and we will discuss it if it comes up mm -hmm. because sometimes that does come up in processes and you're like i did not know that that was going to happen and now as a dancer i feel like i want to please you i want to not mess up the project i also don't want to mm. get released from this project because i won't be nude like you're like right um, so so i just think things like that were written in there and i think they could only kind of come about if you've been a performer recently. Like if you're someone who has been in the situation, it's, it would be very easy to write in a bunch of like things that you could see being scenarios that would come up. I think it's a lot harder for a lot of dance makers who have been separate from the performing experience mm. to like think back about what sort of safety measures they would have wanted. It feels like that. A At least that's, 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 that's yeah. my perception, yeah. yeah. So. so let me just make sure I'm understanding. I feel like you said two things, but maybe it was only one. So creative safety in the sense of what you would be expected to do or asked to do by the choreographer for their creative vision, but also if you contribute creative material that you will also be acknowledged in a certain way, or did that? Did you not say that? Why did I think that I think was... I, I think I said both of those things. Okay. I don't know if they go under the same category. No, I think, but... I think they're different, but I yeah. like that. Because, right, I mean, we see so much of like, this was, you know, so-and-so and the dancers. Like, this piece was made by so-and-so and the dancers. Or so-and-so in collaboration with the dancers. Or so-and-so with input from the dancers. And whenever I see that, I'm always like, how much <laughs> input are we talking about? And sometimes if I know the work well, I'm like, all of that was made by the dancers and this person directed. And some people are very explicit about that. That's how they perceive themselves now, less as choreographers, more as directors. But some people, it's, it's like their big fat name at the top of it. And no amount of like little comments can really erase that. I love that, Mia. So do either, either or both of those creative protections in a way resonate with Chelsea or Alex? To speak on what you had brought up before too though, I feel like with um, experiencing like harassment in a dance environment, physical or sexual harassment personally, to like name it at the beginning, to have it in a contract of like, if someone feels uncomfortable, like I don't completely like exactly remember the language around it, but like 
if someone feels uncomfortable with a certain kind of touch or whatever, like what the conversation is around it, but to even acknowledge it, to even have it in writing is really important. And to me, like already sets up like a environment where that's not acceptable, even if it were to be like a like very sexual piece or something, or like really delving into sexuality and touch to like have that conversation and understanding beforehand of like, this is based in consent and like conversation and that this can be, I think in the contract there's something like at any moment you can say no. Like it's not like, yeah. mm. it's not like you signed this and now you're like signed on to perform whatever we choose, like whatever Emily chooses or something, but like that it's an on, like consent is an ongoing thing. And I don't feel in a lot of other situations I've been in that that is ever a topic of discussion. Um, right. So for me, that's like what makes me feel safe in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, though I don't, like even like when we talked about it beforehand, I really never felt like anything like that would come up. But I also didn't really think that about any of the other situations I've been in where it did come up. So make it like puts a like a foundation of anything you're feeling is okay to bring up um even if it seems small or doesn't seem relevant if you're feeling it it's okay to talk about it Mm. oh that's just so important as you articulated that way i mean right if it's said at the outset that this can happen then if something comes up you can't backpedal and and be like what like what are you talking about right but if it's not said then right there's so much room for gaslighting it's like a gaslighting prevention clause yeah chelsea i mean yeah i feel like because we talked about so much of this stuff at the onset even like oh if we needed to have a hard conversation that we can like we can feel safe to have it or like there's a mediator if that doesn't feel safe like maybe it's just because we talked about so much it just feels like it's safe to say whatever we need to say or do what we need to do to make ourselves feel comfortable. And I feel like sometimes I've been in processes where I've felt like something has bothered me and I haven't said anything or like there's been a maybe a tense moment between me and like the director and like I just spent a lot of my energy trying to like get over that and be like, okay, that was that, that was that, that was that. And like not talk about it. Mm. And then like that does take my creative energy because I'm just trying to get over mm. that moment. Mm. I mean, I think that in our, like, bring it home, (laughs) Um, I think that what I'm hearing from all of you is that there is an understanding, this seems really fundamental, that this contract does not protect anyone from things happening. Like, things can happen. We are going to mess up. Um, And... What we need are tools and protocols for coping, right? So that we can keep going. Um, And that's what it sounds like, at least from what Chelsea was just saying, you really have put in place a circumstance in which it can happen. Like, let's all just admit that. It's important to acknowledge that literally anything could happen. You're not writing a, a sentence or a clause for every single possibility, but you're addressing the fact that anything could happen and we might not be prepared for something being flexible and accommodating and adaptive have been like some of the top priorities that resulted like from our contract maybe. Every time something comes up that like maybe a couple years ago I would have considered um, an obstacle, I'm 
just trying to reframe it and be like, ooh, awesome, another creative constraint. Right. And it truly has taken over the process. It's usually about someone not being there, right? <laughs> or, or someone accessing the work in a different way that day or something, and we're like, oh, cool, okay, now that's a duet. Ooh, and that's a trio, or that's a solo, or this values walking because we're outdoors because of COVID, so we're not rolling around on the ground so much, or like, yeah, there's just all yeah. sorts of things that actually are really helpful when it comes to like authoring a work. So, which also feels very postmodern, right? It oh, yeah. also feels like some of all <laughs> oh, yeah. some of all y'all's background <laughs> in terms of that, where like everything becomes a structured improvisation if yeah. you're open to it being that way. I feel like mean? it's been like implied, but I also like was thinking about it, but then the musical theater happened. Um, <laughs> that like beyond just like the contract supporting us or me as an artist in the process, I also feel like it, it was also like the culture that was built by all of us and like curated by Emily. So. You know, you can see a lot of terms on paper, but not see any of it in action. Mm -hmm. And I do think that we, we've done a pretty good job of like actually like walking the walk. The contract, the community agreements, what was sort of proposed that the piece would loosely be about. I think we've d done a good job at sticking to that. Like we're genuinely interested in like putting into practice exactly what we're writing or allowing that to change as need be. But mm -hmm. like, even if you didn't read our contract, you might feel its presence in our workplace. This is a very pleasant experience, but we're also making something that I feel proud to participate in. Mm. I think a lot of people think that like, can only be a holistic, good feeling, vibey process, and the outcome is like, eh. There's no guarantee that a process is going to have a result that reflects that process. But again, what I mean by result I mean what the audience sees. Yeah. Which dance, of course, notorious for kind of obfuscating that which goes into its making. You know what I mean? That's, it, I it, think, actually kind of maybe what the piece is about. Okay. Maybe. About not obfuscating? Yeah. Okay. Like, maybe. there's a section where Chelsea, you know, this could all change in a sure. week, but let's just say this <laughs> section continues to exist. <laughs> where Chelsea and Shireen choreograph something and they like take their time and they like giggle through it and they're like, wait, what was that again? And they're like legitimately doing some of our rehearsal stuff on mm. the stage for a minute. Okay. And then the music comes in and then we like do some other things because mm -hmm. we also do some other things. It's impossible, right? To make a product that reflects the process because it's literally an oxymoron or to perfectly reflect the Sure. But that is actually, I think, maybe what I'm starting to figure out, perhaps, <laughs> is the point that I'm interested in creatively. And it's very rare that an artist talks about something and then I see what they say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's fine. That's not a problem. It's just, it is a conundrum. Adia Whitaker was the one who, I talked to her a lot before her show. I don't know if you saw her show. It was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was genius. And l everything she said was what I saw. Wow. And I was like, whoa, how did that happen? You know, I don't know how that happened. And again, not necessary. But when we're looking at the, what's the word, the mechanisms of making, which is, you know, there's a meta thing going on in this work about looking at like the means of production in a certain way. It does feel really different to be like in a process that is like directed and run by someone like, like a peer mm. um, instead of someone much older or someone that, you know, came out from another place. Like, I don't know, that is in San Francisco, has been based in San Francisco. It really changes like the room and the expectation and the relationship between like choreographer and 
dancer. Sure. It's like a really different experience and like very spacious. And also because Emily is working in the field right now as well, there are like needs that she has and that she like sees and desires like in her own experiences that I feel get put into what we're doing, um, mm. which feels really relevant and important to me. Well, thank you for talking with me. Thank you for reaching out because I'm always saying, anybody want to be on the podcast? Yes. Like screaming it from every rooftop and I hear nothing. You know, Christy, I was like, Christy, can Fun. you send me that list of, you know, I got to send a press release to people, but I haven't seen the list lately. Can you, do you have it? And she was like, no. And you should think about how you want to engage with the public and the press and like what kind of writing and listening do you like to like what do you actually appreciate and what do you not appreciate and I was like oh yes okay I will not be making a press release thank you exactly <laughs> no exactly as someone who's been in the press and whatever I respond to nothing unless it's personally directed to me at this point because yes. it's just too too much right. going on yeah anyway so I love that Christy told you that yeah Christy's an icon thank you all <laughs> so thank much. you yeah, thank you yeah Shereen Dorian wasn't able to join us for our original interview, but I got to speak with her a few days later, and now you're going to hear from Shereen. Hi, I'm Shereen. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I actually think about this all the time, I, not about when I'm dancing, what I think people should think of me, but uh, when I'm not dancing and the jobs I do in order to dance, I wish that they could just sort of see a visual of me in my maroon sweats rolling on the ground. <laughs> You know, just being goofy and being able to be taken seriously for my goofiness and just sort of a visual, uh, you know, if I'm like pouring champagne at an event or I'm dog walking, it would be great to be able to see other sides of people uh, that we're all creative beings, all of us are. And, you know, just because we see people doing something doesn't mean that's all they are. So tell me about your experience in the process with Emily and the other dancers? There's been a, a shift, not just in this process, but a lot of the other projects that I'm into of this accountability. And I am grateful to be a part of this shift because I think in the past, you might know something's wrong, but that's just how it was done. And I, I really think that with dance, especially freelance, we're just trying to catch up with the rest of the world. You know, these things of having a contract in place, it's absurd. If there's any other job that you sign up for, these things are already there. It's basic respect uh, when you hire someone. One of the things I really appreciated was, yes, being a part of building this together and seeing not just this is Emily's thing, but this is also something that's bigger. And it's it's across the country. It's across the world of like coming together and saying, okay, we deserve this. I have a lot of gig jobs. <laughs> uh, so I was really grateful to be hired as an employee. It helps so much during tax season. The government, it doesn't have like a, oh, I see you're, you're a freelance. Okay, well, <laughs> here's some help. It really, everyone wants you to be a W-2. And so being hired as an employee really helped me financially and to get through the tax season. And then also just having a conversation with everyone and saying, you know, I see this statement and I, I want to add to it. Or I, I really want to talk about protection and safety or, you know, about like if we need to change a schedule, if an emergency comes up, just having that conversation, setting the bar of you're seen, you're heard, you're respected. I hope this sets a standard for 
other companies too. And I know a lot of other project companies are doing some great work and have also had this kind of conversation and workshops. And it's just, it's exciting looking at the uh, mistakes, the habits, the brushiness side. At one point, people are going to say, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. We can change that. The things that have been done in the past, like at, at some point, a younger generation's like, okay, no, we don't need to do this anymore. And that's kind of cool to be a part of and witness because I feel like I'm sort of in the, the middle. As far as like an example of that, I really appreciated, especially during like safety, mask safety, when Omicron was coming and hitting hard and just stating that I'm having anxiety and I want to wear my mask and I need some space and knowing that that's okay to say and that, that I'm not going to have some kind of backlash for stating that. Those were real safety that I used too, you know, I was appreciated because there's always this, like you're letting down others. If you have to put yourself first, there's that sort of like, you just have to suck it up kind of thing. And that's just not healthy. Right. So I've had examples of me rushing out of the ER, trying to make rehearsal time and uh, getting backlash because I was late. And sort of having to like pretend that everything was okay because COVID has really shifted everything like that kind of mentality. It's looked at differently now. Whereas like, oh, you have a cold, but you're so brave for being here. And thank you for not letting us down. It's like, oh no, you're sick. Okay. Thank you for thinking of us by saying, I'm going to step out. I want to be real with how I feel and my experiences with COVID just like many people, I had loved ones die. I've, I was really sick, long hauler, and it's changed the way I look at health and well-being and, and saying like, if I need to step away too, and I can be there online, you know, (laughs) I don't want to just like completely shut down or not be there, but I can be there in other ways, embracing where we are at this time and not stressing about trying to fit in a place. I'm here. This is my instrument. This is where it's at. (laughs) This is where it's tuned. And um, let's see what we can do. DanceCast is an ODC theater production curated, written, and edited by Seema Belmar. That's me. With creative consulting from Chloe Zimberg and Sophie Lenanger, and additional support from Matt Shrimplin and Garth Grimble. Please subscribe and rate our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. You can find a transcript of this episode and all DanceCast episodes replete with hyperlinks to related content at odc.dance stories. Until next time, dance on.